First Peter chapter 2, verses 4 through 12, it's navigating life's difficulties. This is part 3, and it's the right living through rejection and slander. Beginning in verse 4, it says, Coming to him as to a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. You also, as living stones, are being built up in a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Therefore, it is also contained in the scriptures, Behold, I lay in Zion. A chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. Therefore, to you who believe, he is precious. But to those who are disobedient, that stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble, being disobedient to the word by which they also were appointed. This letter was written to Christians as an encouragement to them who were under this great persecution and suffering. Either they were in the middle of persecution or was about to quickly approach them. This kind of suffering that they were enduring or about to endure would take on many different forms. For example, rejection was a form of persecution that came because of their obedience to the commands of Christ. That's what the topic is today about rejection. And really the point that Peter wants to make is this. If Jesus was rejected for his obedience to the Father, then plan on being rejected for our obedience to our Savior. But there's some imagery right here that's, that's taken place, and Jesus described this as Jesus himself, or I mean Peter is describing Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. But also we are living stones too. But this imagery of Jesus being a chief cornerstone goes all the way back to the Old Testament, where it said in Isaiah 118, the stone that the builders have rejected has become the chief cornerstone. Also, Isaiah speaking in verse chapter 28, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. So these imageries of a cornerstone was the promise of the coming Messiah. Now, if you are new to the Bible and you are hearing chief cornerstone ascribed to Jesus, it might not be coming together for you. But Peter is helpful to make us understand what all this means and how important it is for us to know. You see, the chief, the chief cornerstone in ancient times was intended to speak of three things. Number one, as a cornerstone, it was the first stone laid in a foundation for the building of a building. Bar none, it was first and the most important stone in constructing of a building. Number two, every other stone in the building was measured off the cornerstone. Every stone was placed in alignment with the cornerstone. Thus, it leads to number three, which every stone in the building had a relationship with the cornerstone. It was all tied together. And once those three things were true of a building, then it would be safe and sound to go into. If any one of those three things were not true to the cornerstone, then they would have a building that would not be safe. And what is true of a cornerstone to a building, so is Jesus Christ to every single human being in this world. Jesus, number one, is to be the most important relationship we have in our lives. Number two, just as every other stone was tied to that cornerstone, they had a relationship with that stone, as we have with Jesus. And number three, we are to measure our lives off of our cornerstone, Jesus, to make sure our life is square, to make sure it is true. So as Christians, in relationship with the cornerstone, I measure my life off of his. That would be my thoughts, my speech, my action off of him, so to be true. So the question, what does Jesus bring to the life of one who makes him their chief cornerstone? four things. Number one, the most important relationship of their life. Number two, he provides a solid foundation for our lives. Number three, he brings stability into our lives. And number four, he holds our lives 
together. Question is, why in the world would Peter bring all this up to a group of suffering and about-to-suffer Christians in the arena of persecution, in the arena of rejection? Because if we are measuring our life off of Jesus Christ, then we're going to be more and more like him. And the more we become like him, the more we will be despised and rejected by the same kind of people that despised and rejected him 2,000 years ago. But also remember, the multitudes loved him. So there'll be that group of folks that will reject and despise us, and there'll be that group of people who will be glad that we brought Jesus to them. Thus, we can expect rejection and suffering for our faith and obedience to God. It's just a fact of life. There is that group out there in the world that will reject us. And it's going to happen to every single person. I don't know about you, but when I was a new Christian in Christ, following the Lord, desiring to be obedient to the Lord, you know, full of his love in my life, and I'm a totally different person. I'm a better person than I was. I'm living a moral life for God. I'm loving on people. And this is how I purpose my life to be. I was excited about my new life. And then everyone is going to like me. I'm sure they were, and I honestly believe that they really would like me. I mean, how can they not? I'm a new creation. I'm a better person than I was before. And you would think they'd want to throw a party for my honor. But, but you're surprised to find out that there are family that rejects you. There are friends that will reject you. They're all gone within a 24-hour period as if you're a leper. People scatter when you come around. They stop talking at work when you walk up. They all look at their watch and say, you know, I got to go. I got to get back to class or whatever it may be. It all happens mostly at the early stages of our walk with the Lord, this kind of rejection. When Debbie and I, my wife and I, came to walking with the Lord as Christians, we were both working in the casino at the time. And it didn't take long for word to spread that Kent and Debbie have found religion. And we would come into work many times, and like cockroaches in the light, some of these co-workers would hide and melt away. But you would also have those moments where others are going through a divorce, or maybe the death of a loved one, or maybe even cancer, and now they, they want to talk to you. So you had those two different groups of people, the rejecting kind of group and the ones that really wanted to talk with you, just like Jesus had. But it hurts when you are rejected, and you do nothing wrong except you became an absolute better person. The owners of the casino who I worked for could care less what religion you were. They could care what you, as long as they were making money, as long as you know, they were winning, uh, worship whatever you want. Yet when I left the casino to go into the ministry at Calvary Chapel in Las Vegas, the guy who ran the Baccarat room heard that I was leaving to go into the ministry, and he came up to me, and he says, is that true, that you're leaving to go into the ministry? I said, yes, it is. And right to my face, he called me a fool. He says, you can write your own ticket here. Why would you leave? I was the biggest fool he had ever met. And I'll tell you something, rejection never, ever feels good when it comes across in that way. What could make all this rejection worth it? Well, Peter tells us in verses 9 and 10 that we are a chosen generation. We have God's acceptance upon our lives. The world might not want us, but God does. We're a royal priesthood. Not only do, are we a, uh, a temple of the Holy Spirit, but we're also the priest there as well. We represent God to the people. We are his own special people. We're his own. No matter who rejects us or comes against us or the sufferings that we endure, God has claimed us as his own very special people. We are highly specialized to him. We're also called out of darkness into his marvelous light. Verse 10 says we are the people of God, that we have obtained mercy. And back in verse 6, it says we will not be put to shame. 
We will never be ashamed of making that choice for Jesus. No matter how we suffer or face difficulties or rejection, and it seems as if the whole world is against us, and it is, be sure there will never be any shame to this life with Christ. And then it goes on to say in verse 11, he says, Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lust, which war against your soul, having your conduct honorable amongst the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good work, which they observe, glorify God on the day of visitation. So basically, as rejection comes your way from the world, remember, we're just passing through. We're just visitors on planet Earth. You have a temporary visa, for this is not home. Heaven is our home, and in that, he says, abstain from fleshly lust, abstain from the things of this world, but live life rightly in front of those who are not only rejecting you, but they are speaking verbally against you, slandering you, speaking evil of you because you are a Christian. But here's, here's the news, the good news. Yet when they see your conduct in good works, they can glorify God on the day of visitation. That is their visitation from God. See, it's one thing to be rejected physically. It's another thing to be rejected verbally. Why? Because our reputation is all tied up in that. For our reputation is now tied up with God, living for him, and thus it is very important reputation now that we are Christians. And since our reputation is tied up into God's reputation, we will keep it clean by our conduct, our character, our good works in front of others. Yet, keep a good character, and God will take care of your reputation. That's important. If you are one that goes crazy when someone something is said about you that is untrue, and you're going to make a series of phone calls, you're going to get a face-to-face, hey, just understand, this is part of the Christian life. When it's untrue, then you are blessed of God. That's a promise that Jesus made for us. The Sermon of the Mount in Matthew 5, 11. He says, rejoice, for great is your reward, even when you are falsely accused, when you did nothing wrong. Now, it may not be in our lifetime, or it may be in our lifetime, but remember, God's reputation is always bound up in our reputation. And, and listen, understand, the only Bible that these people may ever read may be your life. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 16, let your light so shine amongst men so they can see your good works. Why do we want it to shine amongst men? Why do we want to see our good works? Why do we want them to see our character, our conduct? Because as it said in verse 12, there will be a day of visitation and your life and your character will shine. It will light up as they are observed your life and give glory to God on that very day, the day of their visitation. And I've heard so many testimonies from people who have come to know Jesus Christ and one of the big hurdles for them to cross that line on the day of their visitation they acknowledge the fact that their mom or their grandmother had shown themselves in their conduct and reputation and their support of them always for them and they remember they always were saw they always were the same you know there was no hypocrisy with them at all and on the day that they came to know Jesus Christ they attributed that to their mother or their grandmother so many testimonies to that because they let, she let her light shine amongst her own grandkids or her kids. And on the day of their visitation, guess what happened? They came to know Christ and they accredited it so much to their mom and to their grandma. Listen, the best way to silence rejection 
along with slander, is a life of good works, doing the right thing. For a day will come when your light will shine into them when God visits them. It may be true that people turn away from God because of so-called Christians who are nothing but have a life of hypocrisy. I understand that, and you understand that. But I can make a choice, and I can live life that honors God, and knowing in my faithfulness to God, others will come to Christ, and they'll remember my life. And my life was a life that honored God in my actions, in my words, in how I carried myself in difficult seasons of persecution, trials, rejection, and slander. 